Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 49. I'm Jim Cornell from the Biotech and still no rain here. I'm really feeling for those in North America suffering with the air quality issues caused by the forest fires. It's really terrible what's happening over there, although of course there are issues in other places too. I do remember covering forest fires when I was editor of a newspaper and the fire is all you can smell for days. I took the family on a lightning trip to Liverpool this weekend for no other reason than a Beatles-obsessed son. Not good timing with there being a train strike, but it was still fun, other than the trials and tribulations of hay fever season. And that's a reason for my voice sounding slightly different this week. Today's podcast is going out on June the 9th, which I'm reliably informed is National Strawberry Rhubarb Pie Day. I'm definitely not celebrating. Not that I have anything against strawberries or rhubarb. But this week we're not talking about fruit, we're talking about precision medicine with Tero Silvola, CEO at BC Platforms, and also hearing about the company's acquisition of Four Pharma. And so now it is time for our weekly look at some of the week's news headlines that you may have missed over at thebiotech.eu. We had an article on bacterial resistance genes being a threat to human health. There was our monthly look at the biggest private biotech investments and a rabies vaccine received approval for a phase three trial. Shasky is using click chemistry to target cancer Head and neck cancer data were presented at ASCO 2023, which seems like it's been an incredibly busy and fruitful event. And in Canada, Oncopol received $5.5 million in funding to tackle cancer. Not sure whether that was Canadian or US dollars. We had an article on 10 Swedish companies spearheading the country's biotech scene, A look at how Ireland is at the forefront of using AI to help life science companies. And Avantgarde closed 61 million euros in financing to move its gene delivery program into the clinic. Minorix has been given the go-ahead to start a phase 3 trial for cerebral adrenoleukodystrophy patients. We had an article on six companies that have made their name in the cardiovascular space. Kate Therapeutics has launched with $51 million to develop genetic medicines for muscle and heart diseases, and Acepodia raised $100 million financing to boost cell therapies. MedLife Discoveries in Canada is starting a trial for children with RCDP. Okin is powering a new era in oncology research with Mosaic, and that is a $50 million spatial atlas of cancer cells, and Astellas is developing a new gastric cancer drug. Quell has signed a potential $2 billion cell therapy deal with AstraZeneca, and you can read all of these and many more at lebiotech.eu. So now it's time for this week's interview, and it's with a company that was in the news this week for an acquisition, and we'll hear a little about that later in the conversation. But first, we talk about precision medicine, among other things. So this week's guest is Taro Silvola, CEO at BC Platforms. I wonder if first we could kind of dive into 
precision medicine. If you could kind of explain what precision medicine is and how it's evolved to where we are now. Okay, so this is Tero Silvola speaking. For me, precision medicine is very much what BC Platform's mission statement tries to explain. So the reason of existence for us is all about precision medicine. For me and for our company, it means basically an intersection between healthcare and life science. As an example, healthcare data has today lots of really, really valuable, insightful data in the databases, in different registries, EMR systems and data lakes. And that healthcare data can be converted to impactful insights at the life science side. So when life science is then with a very extensive, a long R&D process aiming to develop the drugs and molecules for actual use, the whole idea is that they are really well targeted. The population is well characterized. And of course, uh, you can actually measure the impact of those solutions. So for us, it's kind of like an infinity loop, making sure healthcare uh, value chain is connected to life science and the ultimate purpose is to keep better treatment with a better timing and with a better medicine to you and me, citizens and patients. So that's how I would, I would verbalize what precision medicine is all about. I assume that it's changing constantly. It is. Looking at uh, with, with the perspective, two main drivers that are transforming and changing it. Number one, Right now, technology itself and different platforms are taking quantum leaps, big leaps. If you look backwards, AI, machine learning, different type of algorithms, they were not available. You didn't have the right infrastructure, the right tools to develop those software capabilities that you would be able to do today. So technology is really changing fast. The second is access to this sensitive, good quality information is becoming available, available as well. Maybe a third one that uh, influences a lot is all the omics data. As an example, genomic data as such, it was too expensive to produce only 10 years ago. The value price points, they, they were well beyond tens of thousands of euros or USDs, even hundreds of thousands per sample, if you consider whole exome and whole genome data. And now the price point is, is uh, getting below MRI image. So obviously that, that access to that sort of a complex biological information is different than it was 10 years ago. Is it in some ways difficult to keep up with the technology because as the technology develops so quickly? Are you able to utilize that capacity or to utilize that, I guess, increased in capacity of what it can do? Good question. Um, what BC Platforms aims to do, we are a platform company and as such, we don't need to develop all those algorithms and predictive models or biomarker tools and, and all those AI capabilities ourselves. We need to be, however, well embedded into those ecosystems and centers of excellence where this development takes place. So for us, it's uh, crucial and very important to partner with, uh, with the right institutions. There are everyday new uh, super interesting startups popping up from these ecosystems. And if our brand is well enough, brand awareness is there and, and we get to connect these, uh, these companies that will keep us up to date all the time. But it's mission impossible to develop everything in-house exactly to your point. It's uh, the pace is fast and uh, 
every day you find out that that this capacity actually should be connected to the platform and is there enough data i'm sure that in some fields there's a lot but in others i'm thinking about geographically and different different races different genders is there enough data to work on so that you can get better results we have been every now and trying to do kind of like a theoretical exercise what is enough and uh, is there actually an n that would uh, be sufficient with the, with the demand but we have never come up with the actual number or end that would actually make us comfortable comfortable and and so on so i would rather say that that what has to happen is that all these different haplotypes are well covered so whoever is a data provider in, in our case obviously bc platforms we need to make sure that we have all major continents well established we have access to all these different type of data sets and haplotypes like i said and then the quality of the data also dictates so you have image data you have genomics data you have the longitudinal clinical data all of that if you can maximize the quality of that information it will speed up the cycle of the innovations so we don't think that there is an actual n it keeps on evolving and developing and uh, a lot to do still with that uh, data access and footprint and i guess with some things like cancer there are probably lots of data whereas with something like a very rare disease there's probably less to work with correct rare disease indeed is very is very complex going back to my point that you have to really have that coverage you perhaps get to validate your hypotheses and algorithms with a very small n eventually you you have to replicate the results with another population and other locations geographical locations that your models are applicable we are trying to connect with the all major healthcare systems to make sure that also rare disease opportunities can be covered but truly i think you are spot on it's more complex it requires more long term investments it doesn't happen overnight but eventually of course over the time we get to cover more and more i don't know whether it's one of the elephants in the room right now is artificial intelligence and machine learning but it seems to be have gone beyond healthcare to a point where people are concerned about artificial intelligence and machine learning in certain areas not necessarily healthcare do you think that that is going to potentially spill over into healthcare in terms of we're seeing the UK government talking about legislation for artificial intelligence i think it's happening already now i think regulators uh, uk european union they are fairly well already up to date what is going to be possible and what not there are multiple initiatives and programs all across european union countries where these uh, these topics are being addressed how to actually anonymize how to pseudonymize what other regulatory aspects should be taken to a consideration where sensitive data is being moved across the countries if if that happens and i think there has been less concerns about the impact of the ai tools or machine learning tools per se uh, the, the major concern has been about the data sharing as such that do you make it available or not uh i would also say so that every continent now the landscape is very competitive and if you compare north america versus europe versus china all of these different continents have their strengths and strengths and weaknesses as an example some some of these territories they have more competence in developing these algorithms so human talent to develop 
is uh, stronger in some areas than the others. Then financial capacity and resources available to invest in this domain, also that differs. And uh, then thirdly, the regulation, how easily that data is accessible for machine learning purposes, that also differs. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, the landscape plays out between different continents also during the next years. And do you think that there's a variation between different sectors? Because I think one of the things that seems to be high in the media's priority and not science media, but general media is that it's going to be an end to humanity. Whereas in science, it seems more to be a tool for analyzing more data and for improving things. Yeah, I think we have the privilege to work in the life science and healthcare where it's a, uh, I would say fairly easy to demonstrate what is ethical impact of our doings. So it is a true win-win-win scenario that the healthcare system will win because uh, the, the concepts are more preventive and predictive. We identify certain populations faster, what sort of a care and treatment uh, pathways actually are functional. It is a win for, for the patients because they actually get that right treatment, which is uh, really almost like a customized and, and tailored for them. You already mentioned rare disease cases where you have these certain certain patients that, that haven't had access to the, to the care earlier. And then obviously for life science and pharma companies, it's going to be more cost effective to have these tools available, which ultimately again will benefit the taxpayers because you need to pay less for those solutions. So ethics around machine learning, AI and data availability in healthcare is I would say easier to communicate and easier to address than, than in many other segments it would be. Could you tell me a little bit about what BC Platforms does and how you work within the industry? So BC Platforms indeed aims to be the most valuable data network and technology platform. So your questions about precision medicine is a centerpiece for us. We are doing that by integrating clinical and genomic data all across the globe together. So there are two assets where we invest and where we put our resources. Number one is a platform that integrates all this complex information and complex data sources into single platform. And by doing so, and by having that single platform, we then build and develop a global data footprint. So our intent is to have as good coverage as possible and as fast coverage as possible all across the globe to clinical and, and genomic data. We call it the real-world data, so that's the intent. Then, in terms of the value chain, we also want to wrap the data and technology with the spot-on services, like well-defined services, understanding also the regulatory aspects of doing so. There's an element of services where we also want to be strong. I guess that, that must be something that's quite difficult or quite constant in terms of the amount of work that you do is just keeping up with changing regulations. It is, but it's, it's fundamental. We call this a trust business and uh, this uh, regulatory landscape is uh, dictating, uh, dictating our operations. As an example, the ultimate frame is of course GDPR, but every country actually reads it and interprets GDPR slightly differently. There's a need to even go to this uh, country-specific laws and regulators, regulations, and then even on a hospital level, you may have a set of rules and certain codes that you need to follow. So it has to be all the time part of your own R&D and, and development to understand the, the regulatory landscape.
you're not a young company. You've been around for quite a while since 1997. So I imagine that the entire landscape has changed in those 25 years. Truly so. More than 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when we our company was established, we had lots of, I would say, scientific ambitions and scientific motivations inside PC platforms. So many of our employees, they did the science, executed the science. They know what it is to be actually in the pharma developing those insights and, and so on. Then what happened next was the, I would say, awakening of the precision medicine on the healthcare practice. And now there's a big wave on the pharma once they start to understand what this real world data can actually do and what is the power when they transform their own way of operating and their own research and development processes that are lengthy and very costly. So I would say that we have already seen three waves of the development the past 25 years and, and you just need to build that agility in the organization to keep on learning and you need to have that motivation to learn. I would assume that in 1997 there weren't too many companies in this space. I assume that there are a lot more now. How would you stay ahead? Indeed, 25 years ago there were not many companies that were into genomics and any other omics data per se or real-world data, so to say. Now they are. And uh, I would say that the, the pace is just increasing every year. The way that you stay ahead is to be well embedded globally in those uh, ecosystems where innovations occur so that you are always basically working with the best partners, best colleagues, best researchers. If that network does exist, then you also have a possibility to uh, learn with the best and develop with the best. So that's maybe philosophically uh, one way to do it. If you convert it also to financial terms, PC platforms need to invest organically in certain areas and, and capabilities. We are also systematically trying to scout uh, now companies that we could or should acquire because you always cannot develop also or partner with in, in certain areas. You also need to bring in new abilities and new functionalities. So that's maybe a, something new and a new process that we need to learn as well. And I guess that's a perfect introduction to the recent acquisition of 4Pharma. I wonder if you could run me through the acquisition and what was so attractive about 4Pharma. 4Pharma has lots of similarities to BC. They were also established in 2002. They employ roughly 40 industry experts, professionals. These are either PhDs or otherwise well-established researchers in the, in the area. They know how to use the data that we are collecting. It's a niche company, uh, especially in our, our area, well-established customer base and a really top-notch reputation. The reason why we were interested on 4Pharma on was that they have a certain number of services that are highly synergistic with the BC. As an example, they provide data management services to bring clinical evidence into a database. They have a solid understanding and expertise on statistics. So uh, real expertise on planning and reporting, uh, medical services, bringing statistics and clinical science together. And on these three capabilities, service capabilities, we have envisioned that now together we can further develop our own information technology when we want to protect and secure access to different data and different type of real-world evidence services that are enabling the market access. So... Lots of new opportunities beyond what 4Pharma is doing today. 
maybe it's a little too early to say, but will it fold into your company or will it work as a standalone and, and kind of go in its own direction and grow that way? So the way we have envisioned the operating model is a fairly straightforward. We have three assets, data asset and data network footprint. We have the technology asset, which is a unique and competitive. And now we have a service asset or service function. So all of these need to be solution-wise, they need to be integrated. And what customer is buying from us is ultimately a combination of all these three. But the unit is, is ready as a standalone. And then we aim to integrate uh, the solution perspective in, in Matrix. But there's an ongoing business and existing customer base that we need to serve well. And uh, we obviously won't, don't want to compromise that customer high customer satisfaction by by confusing too much in the, the day one and day two. With you mentioning the future there, slipping back into the precision medicine discussion, what do you see as the future for precision medicine and also for your company within that space? So today, biggest part of our customer base, it is a composition that consists of Big Pharma. So uh, plus 20, the largest pharma companies globally, so what we envision as a company is to integrate data, technology, and related services in well-defined, impactful solution. And we envision this a combination to be powerful for discovery, for preclinical, for clinical and post-first approval. So ultimately, this new type of assets, like I'm describing it, it generates concrete time-related efficiency opportunities for pharma companies. So our intent is to be one of the market leaders in that segment. Obviously, we are looking in parallel also to the biotech sector, lots of interesting opportunities. We also envision that we have been able to tie in almost like a railway system, our data partners to this uh, pharma company value chain. So what good looks like is that we have almost like a railway system or telecommunication network serving with uh, well-secured data privacy secured data access interface, this, this value chain. And the benefits for the patients are faster, the benefits for the healthcare community are faster, and the benefits for the pharma community is then, then faster. And I assume that as things change and evolve, taking advantage of that is important as well. Yes, um, you need to have two ears and one mouth. We have very sophisticated buyers and, and partners. And... Uh, Evolvement happens by understanding their therapeutic area needs and their pipeline. So it's really the biology and technology coming together. Our customers are true big professionals and, and very impactful game changers in the biology. And our job is then to bring in the, the relevant data and technology in it. So that whole transformation is driven by our clients' pipeline, pipeline needs and strategic perspectives in it. So I guess it's a kind of a feedback loop or you have to go to them to find out what their needs are and then respond to that to exceed their expectations, I guess. Correct. And they, of course, they try to look at strategic partners who can grow and develop and be agile with, with those changes. So ultimately, this is, uh, like you said earlier, a very competitive area and uh, it requires constant investments. You cannot stay in one place, not even a day. You need to build the horizon for three, four years ahead all the time. Absolutely. No, that's really interesting. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered? 
in terms of the market size, perhaps the landscape that, that we are looking at the moment is a real world data space. It's a growth market. And uh, the size of this market, like we see it, it's about two to three billion, perhaps by the end of 26, early 27. And the BC platforms aims to be a market leader, a European market leader in that space. So to be a market leader, one has to have at least 10 to 15% of the overall reach of that market. So that's a good goal for us, concrete goal. And that's it for another podcast. Rain is forecast for this weekend, so maybe I can sell the watering can to someone in Arizona. I'm already busy putting together next week's podcast, so I will take the opportunity to thank you for joining us, and I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Take care and join us next week for another Beyond Biotech.